I don't know, maybe it was something like John Lennon said once, you can only do 10 years at the top of your game. Mm. And we, that's what we did. From 82 to 92, we did five albums and, you know, whatever, thousand shows, and we worked hard. Just makes absolutely no sense. This man is a grown child um, <laughs> with a lot of money and, and yes. freedom, I guess. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. We talk all about rock stars from the classic era, the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, with rock star interviews and more. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now before we kick off, I've got to say a few hellos and thank yous to you wonderful listeners of this podcast, starting with the incredible Magnum fans that rallied in force last week. Now I'm recording this obviously less than a week since episode 6 was released, featuring an interview with Magnum front man Bob Catley and in that short time the episode Kingdom of Madness has become the third most downloaded episode of the series already in just a few days so a shout out to a few Magnum fans that have been in touch including Steve Warsap Jonathan Bright, My Rock Mixtapes on Twitter, and The Real Glue Man, who has a nice little Danish flag on his name as well. Uh, and while I'm at it, thank you to Caro Cool on Facebook, who I think I should probably hire as my social media executive. She shared our post with Zombies singer Colin Blundstone on something like 27 different pages and groups on Facebook, and probably beyond that too. So much love to you, Carol. Hugely appreciate you spreading the word far and wide. We've had some lovely kind of six degrees of separation moments as well. DJ Punkton was in touch on Twitter after listening to the Time of the Season episode to say that Colin Blundstone was his hairdresser's cousin. There you go. And even better than that, I had a lady called Furby on Twitter as well get in touch to say her dad was Mitch Murray's cousin and she played episode 5 Butterfly Effect to him and he really enjoyed it, which is lovely to hear as well. And lastly this week, Fraser Nixon asking me about the battle that was ongoing between Brazil and Finland for third spot in the most listened to countries list. Well, an update on that, Fraser. We've got a new number three in the shape of lovely Canada. So hello to our Canadian friends. Brazil, they're now in fourth, with Finland also dropping behind Ireland and Germany into seventh feels a bit kind of eurovision song contest this doesn't it so while we're on this chat welcome to france who became our 24th country around the world to listen to the series merci thank you one and all keep spreading the word classic rock and all the stories behind the songs and the personalities i find it fascinating you obviously do too and it's something i believe we all need to brighten our lives at the moment Right now, this week's episode, it's slightly different, but we'll get to that soon. I will, of course, be joined by our good friend Maudie from LA, who's got, I tell you now, a crazy list for us on this episode. Honestly, it's mad. Everything you'd expect as well from the the topic, which is one of the wild men of rock. But to start with, and following his appearance on last week's show, we welcome back author and journalist Tim Peacock, who's going to bring us this week's news in rock. So, Tim, hello, and thanks for joining us again. Hi, Paul. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So last week we were talking about the sad passing of uh, your right heaps, Ken Hensley. This week, I hope you've brought us some nicer news. Yes, there's no deaths this week. I can positively <laughs> tell you that, anyway, which is a good start, anyway. <laughs> it is. It, it is. is, yes. So what have you got for us first, then? Well, the first one, there's no deaths. It's not massively positive, I have to say. A little bit dis- disappointing for all fans of the great Black Sabbath, who, of course, one of the most important heavy rock bands of all time, really. Um, an interview this week that's been doing the rounds, their bass player, Geezer Butler, says, he said in a new interview with Eon Music, which is all over all over the press, he said, quote, there will definitely be no more Sabbath, it's done. So there's no grey areas in that, unfortunately. No. So that's a bit disappointing for Sabbath fans. 
like myself. <laughs> it is a shame, isn't it? I think, I think um, Ozzy was was hoping for a reunion a couple of years ago, wasn't he? He was saying that because the, the last show they did together, they didn't do with Bill Ward, the drummer, did they? So they were kind of hoping that maybe one day we'd get one with, with the full Sabbath lineup and Bill back on the drums, but obviously not looking likely. Yeah, it, it seems that way. Uh, Ozzy, Ozzy, I think, although... I, he said in September also, he said he wasn't slightly, had the slightest interest either. But I think that may have been perhaps been influenced by his recent health uh, scares. You know, obviously he's not been well, mm. um, although he is talking about, you know, the new record and touring again. Geezer, on the other hand, though, some slightly better news for Sabbath fans. He also said in the same interview, quote, I'm currently putting together a book about growing up in Aston, Birmingham and how Sabbath came about. Don't know when it will happen, but. That's unquote, but I would like to read that myself. That sounds interesting. So absolutely, yeah, <laughs> rock star biographies and things like that. I am fascinated by because they've always got some great tales. And, and we heard on the last episode, obviously Bob Catley from uh, uh, Magnum. Mm. He was obviously pals about with uh, Black Sabbath back in the early days, and he had some good stories in the last episode. So yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what what comes out if that book does materialise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's an amazing story behind Sabbath. I know it's been told a few times, but I'm sure there's lots of secrets there that can still be, you know. <laughs> still be re- sure to be revealed i imagine anyway so then some sad news then in terms of sabbath not getting back together looking very unlikely mm. to happen at least anyway yes uh, what else have you got for us tim um a slight a, a bit of a different one here now paul um obviously we know uh, roger dean as one of the great uh, sleeve artists if you like from the 1970s <laughs> he's very well known to prog rock fans of all persuasions particularly for everyone tends to think of uh, tales of topographic oceans yes, by yeah. yes and of course he's designed sleeves for asia and Steve Hackett and any number of great artists. Uh, but he's he's just kicked off a new exhibition, which is called Pathways. It's uh, started last night and uh, with a live broadcast. It's a new exhibition. You're able to view it up to December the 31st, so the end of the year. Um, you can actually see it in, in person. It's a place called Trading Boundaries. It's a gar- um, gallery in East Sussex. Uh, there are strict COVID guidelines, obviously, are required at the moment. Yeah, of course. You, you know, yeah. if you are in the locality, it is possible to see it. It promises the largest ever display of rarely seen prints, original paintings, drawings and sketches. So that could be of interest to prog rock fans. Absolutely. He was sort of along the veins of Storm Thorgerson, wasn't he? Obviously, everyone knows him as the, as the guy that did Pink Floyd. He did a load of their covers and obviously Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. And I think that the two of them, they didn't actually live together, but they lived in the same building once leaving college or something daft like that. So Yeah, that's right, yeah. times, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I would say if you don't think of Roger Dean, you tend to think of Hypnosis and Storm Thorgerson and obviously you're on to Pink Floyd and Def Leppard and any number of other people, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly one of the greats, certainly one of the greats there. Uh, certainly looks interesting. And just talking about that in, in, in terms of um, record sleeves and mm. stuff like that, I mean, that generation, that that era was was phenomenal. You can look back at some of the album covers and, and they were brilliant. I think they all kind of died down when we, we moved on to CDs and things, but the, the big LPs, were phenomenal when it came to um, all the, the artwork and everything. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. I mean, you tend to think of great prog rock albums. You think gatefold sleeves. Yeah. It's all. Yeah, I think it's one of those. But it's all, so much a big part of the package, isn't it? Really. I mean, you know, obviously, it's a bit. It's a, a big um, conversation about streaming and digital music versus all that. But I do think that yeah, the hate the golden age of it, if you like, the seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties. I think you had amazing sleeves, and obviously these guys are right up there. With the best of them aren't they so that's one for the prog rock fans anyway definitely definitely and uh, one more story for us then tim 
Absolutely, Paul. Uh, last one this week is about, well, it's again kind of broadly about prog rock or that era. Of course, everybody remembers Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells album, which yes. is, you know, obviously the record, if you like, that launched his career and also launched um, Virgin Records in 1973. And that, uh, there's a new documentary coming out about um, oh. about Mike Oldfield and Tubular Bells. It's called From the Manor Born, and it's, it's available on DVD from the 14th, uh, 14th of December. It's coming out through a label called Tiger Moth, I believe. Um, anyway, it it's due to tell the story of the making of the album itself so that should be quite interesting anyway so, again fascinating yeah because yeah, he was he was he was, nine, was he 19 i think he was really young wasn't he yeah he, he, he was he album. was yeah and i think he Absolutely. played pretty much all the instruments himself or the vast yeah. majority yeah. of them so yeah it's gonna be very interesting to see the ins and outs of how that came about Absolutely. And the documentary is also kind of broadened a little bit in the sense it also looks at uh, the beginning of the Virgin Records empire. Uh, it's due to include interviews with people like Tom Newman, Simon Hayworth and P- Philip Newell, who are the production team, but also um, Simon Draper, who is in effect Richard Branson's right hand man when Virgin began. And it's also, uh, according to the blurb I've got, it's also sp- they're supposed to be interviewing some contemporaneous musicians such as Steve Hillage as well. So it sounds like it's going to be quite in depth. Um, I think it's about, from what I've seen, it's about four hours in length. There's a double DVD, <laughs> DVD available, so that might be something for the Christmas holidays. For, <laughs> Absolutely, you know, yeah. Let's hold up with that one. Yeah, you can forgo <laughs> your Gone with the Wind this year. It's just as long. You can sit and watch the Tubular Bells documentary. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, Tim. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show again. Um, if You're you want to check Paul. out your writing, how's the best way to do it? Yeah, well, just go to youdiscovermusic.com. Uh, a lot of the news is me, a lot of the articles is me. So there's all kinds of stuff. Um, not sure what I have in the latest record collector. I don't actually have it this week. So it's, there's a new one coming out anytime now. So but you should see some examples of my work in both of those places anyway. So thanks very much, Paul. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. And a big thanks to Tim for joining us there. So moving on to this episode, as I said earlier, it's a little bit different than the others, and that's because when I've been interviewing our guests, I've been getting them to create a playlist of tracks nominated by themselves. So it's an exclusive list of songs compiled and put together just for you guys. You won't get this anywhere else. But because I didn't want to just bring you to the same people we've already had on the series so far, I'm going to also let you hear one of my favourite archive interview clips from years gone by too. So we're going to get to the exclusive playlist very shortly, but first, this is from an interview I did in 2012 when the band released the album Bag of Bones. I managed to speak to the lead singer of this Scandinavian group who shot to fame in the 80s all over the world with a song that you'll know went to number one pretty much everywhere with the smash hit single The Final Countdown. The band of course is Europe and I spoke with their lead singer Joey Tempest and started by asking him about another of their big hits, Rock the Night. Yeah, actually, we we did a, a single where we went into the studio in Stockholm and recorded Rock Tonight and also did a B-side with called Seven Doors Hotel, a re-recording of that track. And it was actually, yeah, prior to, to uh, Final Countdown album, we did play Rock Tonight to our producer, Kevin Nelson, who did the Final Countdown album. He said, let's, let's do a new recording of it. And therefore, we... Uh, we put it on the Final Countdown album, and yeah, I agree. It's a great live track. It's uh, one of the favourites to play as well. 1986, when it all just kind of went bang, wasn't it? 25 countries, uh, Final Countdown went to number one. I mean, that's an incredible achievement. And um, When you first came up with a riff on the old keyboard, did you ever imagine it could ever be so big? 
Not really. I mean, the riff I came up with when I was even younger, when we were uh, when we were still in the first band, Force. But by then, I, I didn't know how to write a song around that riff. I had it in uh, in, 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 a, in a in a drawer, <laughs> say for a while. But then, when we did our third album, we we needed a show opener, something exciting. And then I introduced uh, uh, Fan Fan to the guys, and we we. we uh, it was inspired by British music, I think, a lot. But lyrically, it was inspired by the first single I ever bought, which was Space Oddity with David Bowie. I thought his fascination with space was fascinating, and it rubbed off on me. So when I was working on the lyrics for Final Countdown, that was a great inspiration. Uh, as far as the music goes, it's, it's various inspirations, but the tempo, I believe came a bit from bands like UFO, songs like Lights Out, that galloping tempo, uh, Run to the Hills with Iron Maiden. We listened a lot to British music in the old days, and I think the tempo and the feel of the song was inspired a lot by that. But also, we wanted to write a show opener. We wanted to have a song that opened the Europe show, that built up expectations, that built up the excitement, and it turned out to be uh, one of those songs that linger. You know, it seems to linger and being used for a lot of stuff, but to us, it turned out to be a great album track for us. It was a very long track, six minutes. And mm. we have a different relationship to this track. I mean, this is an album track. We think it's unique and different. And we love the track. We love playing it live still. Whereas it has taken on a lot of other different meanings for a lot of people in the world. I mean, it's quite, it's one of those tracks, I suppose, a classic track that, that people uh, either love or hate. And it's been played everywhere and used for a lot of things. But for us, it's a, it's a great album track and we love playing it live, you know. Indeed, and you speak about playing it live and it also helped, I guess, I'm guessing here, kind of get the band back together in some sort of way because you, you played this, you performed this at a big Millennium Eve gig in Stockholm, didn't you? Yeah, that was sort of our, our uh, coming back together gig. I mean, we, we were invited to play at Millennium Eve just 10 minutes before midnight. Uh, we performed two songs, Rock Tonight and then Final Countdown, of mm. course, and... And, uh, yeah, that rehearsal that we did for that really sparked things again. John was back in the band, and it meant a lot to us that evening. And uh, Final Countdown, of course, was an, an apt song to play that evening. You know? yeah, it definitely was. Uh, just touching on the fact that the band had broke up for a few years, because there was a, a quite a big gap, wasn't it? Was it 13 years between albums? Was that, yeah, what, but, what, what happened there? Was it just a natural conclusion to the first part of the band's being, or...? I don't know, maybe it was something like John Lennon said once, you can only do 10 years at the top of your game. Mm. And we, that's what we did from 82 to 92. We did five albums and, you know, whatever, a thousand shows, and we worked hard. And we felt like in 92, we did the last gig in Portsmouth in, in, in the UK, and we said, let's take a break, let's take a little break. We never really uh, split up or anything. Let's take a break. I did some solo albums, and then sort of the break became a bit too long, we think. But uh, eventually we got it together and, and uh, released Start from the Dark in 2004. And it all went from there. I've just um, just been researching the interview. I was just looking at some of the uh, videos that I've seen cropping up on YouTube and different things. And one of the ones that really caught my eye was uh, an acoustic number you did with yourself and John in, in Italy. And you did uh, Rock the Night acoustically. It shows that the strength of John's guitar playing, for one, and uh, the strength that you still have in your voice today. Because I know a lot of rockers from the 80s, you hear them now, and they, they don't quite have the same kind of pull in their voice. But you, you still can hit all those notes, and you still got the strength in that voice that you had back then in the 80s as well. Well, thank you. Uh, I think the voice is changing slightly. My road crew is saying that, but not for the worse, for the mm. better. It's a bit huskier, maybe a bit hoarser, but <laughs> I still, I don't really have 
major problems yet, touch wood. Um, we tour quite a lot, but the voice has been holding up. I mean, obviously, you can get a cold on the tour, or you can get, you work a bit too, you do eight gigs in a row or something, and then that you're really messed up. And so occasionally I go to the guys and say, tonight I'm, I'm completely, and then they help me carry me through the show. Mm. And, Maybe had longer breaks between songs and stuff, but no, I'm mean, lucky. The voice is changing slightly, but it's working. Certainly so. is indeed. Well, thank you very much, Joey Tempest. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Yeah, and you. Thank Thanks, you, Paul. Take care. Thanks, right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. The wonderful Joey Tempest from Europe there. The band certainly evolved over the last 20 years. Their big hair, kind of 80s rock becoming even heavier on recent albums like Bag of Bones and War of Kings and Last Look of Eden and Walk the Earth from three years ago. Uh, and Europe, they're going to be the subject of this week's top five. So here goes the top five songs from the band Europe, according to the Vintage Rock Pod. At five, it's the first release from the album that followed the final countdown from 1988's Out of This World. This track is the last of theirs to chart in the US, went to number one across Scandinavia, so number five is Superstitious. At number four, it wasn't actually a single, it comes from the same album as our number five Out of This World, starts with a mysterious keyboard intro but soon kicks in with chugging guitars. It's a big sing-along chorus too. At number four is Sign of the Times. At number three is the big one, the one you all know, the one maybe you'd think would probably expect to be at the top, but for me, there are two better. It topped the charts around the world, and love it or hate it, you know all the words. And number three is the final countdown. Second on our list is one of their newer songs and comes from the Bag of Bones album from 2012. It rocks hard, it sounds really contemporary, and it's my number two of the best Europe songs. It is Firebox. And at number one is a song that I have long loved. It's the definition of sing-along 80s rock. It was originally released as a single before Final Countdown, but after the former's success, it was re-released as the follow-up and charted all over the world. The video is brilliantly 80s too. It's a big sing-along in a hard rock cafe. The number one song from the band Europe, according to the Vintage Rock Pod, is the fantastic Rock the Night. As ever, let me know your thoughts on that selection, though. I'd love to hear from you. And remember, if you want a place where all those top fives are kept together, then on Spotify, search for Vintage Rock Podcast, and there's a playlist set up by somebody nice on there with all the top fives compiled nicely together. Hit shuffle and enjoy. Speaking of playlists, now I'm excited to bring you this, an exclusive playlist of songs as chosen by the artists themselves, not me. As I've been carrying out the interviews, I've been asking each person to give me a song that means something to each of them. One song they choose themselves to represent their own body of work maybe it's their biggest hit the one that means the most to them the one they look forward to playing live that kind of thing so from the horse's mouth themselves let's find out what songs are chosen and let's kick off with the wonderful dire straits bass player john ilsley like the others he has an incredible set of songs he could go for so let's find out what he chose well i'm going to give you brothers in arms because i think that's um a, a pretty almost perfect song in my opinion that uh, mark wrote which works on very uh, very many levels but principally it works on a level which i think no matter what's happening in the world you can listen to this song and understand a little bit more about why things go wrong and um why certain things are important in life and it's, i i love playing it myself and um with my band and even even when we play it acoustically when i do this when I go out and do some small gigs, it, it's, it seems to work on, on, on all sorts of levels. So that, that would be the one. I mean, it's very difficult to choose because, mm -hmm. the, you know, the band's got a lot of stuff and I've got my own stuff as well. But 
uh, I think Brothers in Arms is probably the one I would choose. There you go to kick us off the epic, the brilliant Brothers in Arms. Go straight into the playlist. Next up, let's find out what Scottish rocker Bruce Watson from Big Country decided to choose as his track. From the Big Country back catalogs, um, Wonderland. It was just a, a great time for me. Wonderland was a kind of a song that I'd been working on for a while. And, you know, the, like I said, the label had wanted a, a track to come out in between the, the two albums. So um, it was one of those songs, you know, it, it kind of came to nothing and it came together quite quick. And it, it kind of reminds me of good times as well. A song that reminds him of good times. I think that's no better reason to pick it, really. Wonderland from Big Country is next into our playlist. Let's go slightly different now and find out which song legendary songwriter Mitch Murray chose from his array of songs that, remember, have collectively sold half a billion copies worldwide. I think The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde was like the, f- the first really big international story song. I did, and, and a lot of story songs followed from that. Plus, it's got sound effects. People were killed during the making of it. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. So I would say The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. Give us a bit of information behind that song then, because, um, again, it was yourself and, and Pete, I think, wasn't it, that you, you went to see the film uh, separately and decided yep. you, you were going to write a song for it? That's right. Well, because I uh, we, we thought they'd blown it. We thought, you know, they had this enormous movie and they were, uh, you know, everything was a big, big year with Bonnie and Clyde fashions and all these things were going on. And they didn't have a song except a bit of, you know, uh, uh, blue, blue, whatever they call that music it's you know the mountain music from yeah, the yeah. states uh bluegrass bluegrass anyway uh we thought well you know they've really blown it and then i think i said uh, well why don't we write it anyway let's write it it's not too late it's still you know in the charts and it's getting you know lots of interest which we did and then we had to get the right artist for it we had no idea who to do for it so we wrote it as as a song in its own for its own sake, um, with a bit of ba- basis of the of the blues and the and the travelling thirties involved, and uh, anyway, we then found um, we then found Peter had a, an appointment at CBS Records, and they said, "Have you got anything for Georgie Fame?" We we took his contract and paid very good money for it. We can't get him away. And Peter said, yeah, actually, I think we might have. I'll come back to you on that. He came back and he said, what about Georgie Fame? And I said, yes. Yeah. So that was it. So um, with Georgie Fame in mind, I wrote an extra piece. And that was the little piece of music that goes, little jazzy thing. Bonnie and Clyde got to be public enemy number one. And and that went into it. So that changed the thing. And 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 it made it much more Georgie Famey. And uh, and he didn't want to record it, didn't like it. What can you do? All these guys, what do they know? The Beatles? They no, don't they know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> anyway, it was number one, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> and uh, so that was great. But I'd, I'd, I'd feel very honoured if you put that in your little collection. Going straight onto the playlist, The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. Next up to give us his selection is last week's guest, Magnum frontman Bob Catley. Something I'd like to say is uh, the album before the last one, Lost on the Road to Eternity, the, no, the album and the, the, track, the title track, uh, which uh, 
to buy a summit from Ed Guy and Avatasia, uh, help me out on the, the vocal, um, on the record. Uh, we did a, a duo, a duo, duet? <laughs> a duet. Uh, yes, he'd take a verse and then I'd take a verse and we'd join in the chorus together like duets do. Um, and he got up on stage with us at the Birmingham Symphony Hall. Um, uh, 2018, when the town hall was snowed under, and he, he tried to get up with us then, and it was all snowed under and called off. But we did it eventually um, at the Birmingham Symphony Hall, which was packed out, and Toby got up and sang with us, and it was great, fantastic night. And so I'd like to take that one as my main track, if that'd be okay. It's more than okay, Bob. Magnum's lost on the road to eternity. Time to find out what choice Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Zombies lead singer Colin Blonstone selected as his song for the playlist from his back catalogue of tracks. Well, I'd, I'd probably say Say You Don't Mind because it was my first hit single and it started me out on the road to being a, a solo artist, so it'll always be very important for me. Wonderful Denny Lane song uh, with a Chris Gunning arrangement and um, it, it, it means a lot to me, that, that song, uh, Say You Don't Mind. Colin going with his first solo single, Say You Don't Mind, there. Two left to add to the list then, and we'll start with Bruce Froxton from the Jam's longtime touring and recording partner, Russell Hastings. Uh, track called Number Six, because I wrote it about my old house, and it's about the love of the house that I had. I built it, uh, I refurbished a house while my children were really young. And at the time, my wife wanted to move. And we were doing the album called uh, the first album, which was back in the room. And I said, "Look, babes, I'm, I'm just too busy to uh, move at the moment. I'm on this project with this 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 album. You know, my head's elsewhere. You know, I don't want to move from here." And it was right in that time that I'd come up with this tune called Number Six, which is a pretty solely sort of summary type of ballad, really. And Paul played piano on it, really nice piano, and he played. Uh, he played a few bits and pieces on that. He played Glockenspiel on it as well, actually. Paul <laughs> Weller played on that. So, yeah, and it was a great memory, and it gets played at a lot of soul rallies and stuff like that. So, and I really like it. It's called Number Six. Uh, it's called. It's about a house called Number Six Rife Way in Feltham in uh, Bognor Regis, West Sussex. And an old mate of mine bought it off me. He'll be, he'll be pleased that we play it anyway. Number six from the Bruce Foxton album, Back in the Room, is right there on our playlist. Right, one more to go, and it's from the very first guest we had on the series. Legendary drummer with the small faces, the faces, the who, Kenny Jones gang, the law, and more. What on earth is he going to choose? I, I like the whole of Olden's Not Gone Flake, so let's clear it. That's it. Done. <laughs> That's that one. Play anything off there. Anything but, off that. And, and why, though? Why? Oh, because I, I was, we're all so proud of the album. Also... I like my performance personally. Uh, I, in those days, in the small faces, I used to do a lot of session work and stuff like that, and played with big bands and God knows what. And I keep forgetting about is uh, Bright Eyes. I played on Bright Eyes, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. So I keep forgetting to say to people, I played on that as well, you know, but I, I'm going to remember it now. So something. Oh, no, it's only rock and roll. I should say that, shouldn't I? I played on that as well. <laughs> my word it's just really I've a lot of, quite a few actually so <laughs> we, can, we can go on forever no, and so I learned a lot of stuff on the way so that, so wherever I learned uh, wherever I was playing I thought oh I like that I like that style of playing so I took it back to the band so when we were recording I'd, 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 I'd play in a classical way my drums were like oh, you know, big fills that's why I like it 
He couldn't just choose one, could he? He went with a whole album, but for the playlist purposes on Spotify, I've included the title track, Ogden's Nut Gone Flake, which is an instrumental, but shows off lots of his drum rolls and stuff, which he spoke about. On the YouTube playlist, though, I've put in the performance on Colour Pop, where they perform most of the album with Stan on when doing the uh, narration bits between two. Fantastic to watch and well worth checking it out. So there you go. Our exclusively curated playlist, as chosen by the artists themselves. Find these on Spotify and YouTube. Search for Vintage Rock Pod playlist and you'll have them all together for you the playlist will be updated each time we get a new one on so in a few months time it's going to be one heck of a catalogue isn't it speaking of what's to come i've got some great interviews lined up for you as well coming over the next few episodes diverse as ever we've got singers guitarists and another incredible songwriter in fact a man who's been inducted into the songwriters hall of fame with two of his tracks appearing on the biggest selling album in american history some cracking stories to tell you i can assure you And speaking of stories, it's time for us to go stateside to LA and get some great stories about one of Rock's craziest characters when we catch up with our good friend, Maudie. Maudie, how's things, my man? Paul, everything okay here? It's starting to get a little chilly, but uh, we like it. Little little chilly. I'm a frozen man over here. I am absolutely frozen. <laughs> I hear you, man. It's uh, I hear that it's very, very, very cold where you're at. So I, I yeah. I'm sending you all the all the warm, positive LA vibes. <laughs> from here, I'm jealous of your LA weather. Even if you think it's cold, it's certainly not compared to me. Anyway, um, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> what wonderful uh, information and lists and stuff have you got lined up for us uh, this week, then? Well, today we have this absolutely ridiculous list about the legend the party legend um that is axel rose of guns and roses fame. there's gonna be plenty of stories on him immediately <laughs> off the bat you know this man is one for the books in the rock and roll lifestyle uh he is an absolute legend when it comes to at performing live both good and bad things to say um, yeah, but let's just jump right in. I have I have a couple of facts that uh, really stood out to me and, and were, were really kind of funny. Um, but there's obviously so much to look through here because this man is an absolute legend. Mm-hmm. So we have 30 facts. I'm going to I'm going to go through a few. Let's uh, let's start off with. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Before we go any further, did you just say 30, 30? Well, there's 29. I, I, I exaggerated that extra fact. Even but... still, even still 29. We normally get a. Maybe 12, 14, 15. But Axl <laughs> yeah, Rose has that many stories about him that you can make almost 30. I got to say, it, it became almost a problem how many uh, entries we have on this list. We had to really pick and choose because there's even more than that, honestly, if you want to look through. Um, we, our, our articles, actually, while you read through them, they will link out to specific other like little side facts and stories throughout okay, the story yeah. that we're telling. So... There's more than 30 facts in this list, I'll tell you that much, um, that, that one can access at least, you know? Uh, go on then, what have you got for us then? The first fact that I have for you is, actually takes us to uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, in South America, in July 1993. Guns N' Roses was set to play a show in a huge uh, stadium for 80,000 people. I'm pretty sure it was sold out. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that was the capacity of the stadium. And, you know, Argentinian fans are known to be, you know, just, we need to see our band now and we want to see them and we paid. And <laughs> so they're passionate fans. They need what they want. Um, nonetheless, Axel was in the hotel room, probably like an hour before the show, maybe a little less. 
um, and he would not leave the hotel because he was craving some chili cheese. Okay. The good old American chili cheese, you know, just good old warm chili and cheese. I'll tell you this much. I'm from Bolivia in South America, and if you say chili cheese to someone down there, chances are they're not going to know what you're talking about. That's not something that is available. You know, out here in L.A., you can go to the corner stand and get some chili cheese fries and the burger, whatever, no problem. Buenos Aires, Argentina, you will not get that lucky. So no chance. he insisted, he told his assistant, I need my chili cheese. I will not go on stage until I get my chili cheese. The poor assistant has to go to the kitchen and explain what chili cheese is to the chefs. <laughs> uh, probably an hour, hour and a half later, the people come up with the food, the chili cheese. And let's just say what they showed up with is just like cheese and some peppers on it. You know, <laughs> like not, not what you're looking for here. Um, so by this point, you know, he was already almost like an hour late to the show. Um, you know, people, fans are already booing, losing their minds. Mm-hmm. Crew doesn't know what to do. And then he actually just randomly forgot about his craving. He, you know, as if, as if it never happened, he th- he's just, Oh, doesn't matter. And then he went and played the show late, but he played the show. You know what? As a father of four, to me, he sounds like a toddler who's spoiled, who just wants his way. He's having a tantrum. I can imagine him on the floor, banging with his hands and his feet. And then all of a sudden, he's thinking about, I know, puppies, and he's okay again. That's exactly what you've described. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I feel like it's a, it's a trend with this man. He, mm-hmm. he, he, it's kind of like he gets stuck on little things and overreacts and then creates a problem <laughs> and you know makes 80,000 fans wait two or three hours for him to play maybe a mediocre show because he didn't have his chili (laughs) cheese before the show like what (sighs) honestly i feel like if anyone like the 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 assistant should have been paid 10 times more than whatever he got paid to handle whatever axel made him do and let's be honest, Guns N' Roses fans have, have been known to, to rip up towns, haven't they? And cities and stuff because of uh, what, he, well, whether he plays or not sort of thing. So, yeah, Argentina got off lightly, I think. <laughs> Definitely. They got lucky. I'm, I want to I wanna take yeah. us back now with this other fact. I want to go back to before Guns N' Roses was huge. Um, just to prove that maybe it's it doesn't matter. The fame and the fortune doesn't make you crazy. You know, I'm just trying to see like... Let's go to the, the center of this of this man, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. probably, I don't know, in his 20s, right? Living here in Los Angeles, working hard to get a record deal as one did. They were playing around, you know, they were already, they had a good following in Los Angeles. Yep. Guns N' Roses was amazing. You know, they're, they're just ripping it up. And as good bands back then did, playing on the strip, they get a call from, a record label and they're offering them a deal you know this is amazing it's what they've been working for the best thing that could have happened to them you know so the morning of they wake up they're about to go and look at the contract and talk with the label and suddenly axel rose is seen you know frantic in the house he's like what's happening no one knows what's happening no one, and it's like okay maybe he's nervous you know i don't know don't tell me he's looking for his chili cheese <laughs> i wish i wish no 
you could find that really easy here. That would be no problem. No, the, the issue here with this man is he woke up and couldn't find his contact lenses. Oh, okay. Which, you know, I understandably, like, yeah, you know, if you got to drive, you might have to wear them. If you, ha- you know, you don't have good eyesight. But yeah, I get it. I understand. Happens. You don't yep. want. But this man was losing his mind. He's like, where are my contact lenses? Where are my contact lenses? You know, no one could understand. Everyone was trying to help him find them. No one could find them. And then he blurts out. He goes, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's they're trying to steal my contact lenses. So I can't read my contract. So I can't read the record label <laughs> contract. Oh my gosh. Talk about being who's, paranoid. Look at this man. Who's, he, who's, who's stealing his contact lenses? Who's it? Is aliens? Is it other bands? Who is it? The, the record label, the man, the, the machine. <laughs> this man is just paranoid out of his mind. So by this point, they're tearing up their house. They're, they're looking around and they can't find anything. And they're already basically late, you know, to, to sign this record contract with Geffen Records. There's like all these executives sitting out waiting for them. They're a notoriously <laughs> terrible, you know, party band. They, they, and, and, and they're, they're going to go and mess it up just like that on their first contract, like their first deal. Um, well, long story short, Slash actually ends up going and looking through an old pair of pants that Axel was wearing a couple days before. And he found the case of the contact lenses in the pants. And the rest is history. Oh, they were able to make it. There was a couple of, you know, executives there that were still grumpy, but whatever, you know. Uh, they all made millions of dollars now, so they're fine. But if there's if there's anything to learn from Axel here is, uh, you know, you, you really do have to read through anything you're going to sign. That's very true. I thought you were going to say, look after your contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but those are replaceable. Contracts are harder to break. <laughs> this is very true indeed. Very true indeed. <laughs> um, and then I've got just one more for you, Paul. I know we went off on that last one. Um, and this one is just a short story that will just prove this man's just an unchained you know, behemoth. Uh, yeah. Apparently he was just at home and <laughs> he was at home in California. Uh, you know, he was there with an assistant. Uh, Lord knows what they're doing. There, there, there was a disturbance in the home. Uh, there was a, an uninvited guest, uh, a moth oh. just flying around. An axle. A moth. A moth, yes. A moth, a regular, you know, cotton moth, you know, one of those run-of-the-mill, flying... <laughs> I honestly thought you were talking about somebody breaking into the property, maybe some crazed fan, a terrorist, no? No, no, no. That, I mean... When you say a disturbance... Yes, this is what he was thinking about, though, honestly. Like, if let me finish the story. This, this was an uninvited intruder who, you know, was threatening people's lives. So he came in, the, this butterfly, uh, ugly butterfly, moth, <laughs> uh, flew around, and then he, he couldn't have it. Axel was like, I can't, I don't want this. So he got his assistant to corner it in a corner. And then next thing the assistant sees is Axel reach for his shotgun. Just his big shotgun, cocks it, what? and boom, blows the moth out of this world with a shotgun. <laughs> oh, my word. In his own home. Who, who is this man? Oh, wait. There's just so many things going through in my head right now. I mean, let's start with a poor assistant. So he's, he's, I'm guessing somehow using his hands to, to stop this moth escape in the corner yeah did he have a chance to get out of the way of this shotgun or what i just couldn't believe when i read the story of i mean it, it sounds like a cartoon 
You know, it's like something you see in a cartoon where there's like a fly yeah. and then the yeah. guy's like trying to take it down with his gun. Just makes absolutely no sense. This man is a grown child um, <laughs> with a lot of money and, and yes. freedom, I guess. Um, yeah. Amazing. Honestly, who, who could ask for like a greater story? <laughs> um, and, and honestly, that's just scratching the surface, obviously. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Axel is notoriously rambunctious and and but there's so much here for you to see honestly i couldn't even i couldn't even pick the best ones like there's just too much in there they're all the best ones well there's another 26 that we've got to look through so how are we going to look through the other 26 then maudi um well you can just find us at ranker.com and look up axel rose you will find a bunch of lists about him and this one specifically or you can just go to history of rock and send me a message give us a like give us a follow I'll be happy to interact with you. Just ask me any questions. I'm there for you. Excellent. Brilliant. We will do that indeed. Thank you very much, Marty, for joining us, as always, with some fantastic, fascinating facts about a grown toddler. <laughs> always a pleasure, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, hope everyone's uh, safe around where you're at. Like I said to Maudi, we usually have lists with maybe 15 things at most, but Axel Rose, no, not him. His runs to nearly 30. Definitely check out that article. Well, that's it for another crazy packed bumper episode for you. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this now. Give us a review and a rating too. All that kind of helps. Tell your friends as well. Spread the word about the podcast. Get these things shared across social media. And let's see if we can get a few more countries around the world listening in too. I genuinely do love hearing from you. So whatever it is you have to say, get me on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Check out YouTube as well. All you've got to do is search for Vintage Rock Pod wherever you go, and you'll be able to find us. I might even give you a shout out on the next episode so until that next episode which will be episode eight take it easy and keep listening to your rock music and if you come across anyone who isn't a fan then just tell them my music is better than yours take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.